Welcome back to our program. I'm Roger. Paul Bourget has joined us in the school, uh, from the school committee in the studio. He's been witnessing the confusion here in the building. I hope the school department is not as confused as we are here today. Hopefully not. <laughs> Good morning, Roger. Good, Good morning. morning Thank you for joining us. Uh, maybe we'll have Bob, Bob Martin toward the end of the program. Anyway, um, Patrick McGee, the superintendent, uh, may be joining us in a few moments. But first of all, we're going to get to the political side of things um, because that seems to be uh, a running story uh, this week. And uh, when you left us last week, I... I was left with the following impression uh, that the uh, school committee was going to hire a real estate attorney to validate what you think you already know, that there's an ironclad uh, agreement uh, in the trust for Barry Field that uh, is going to be difficult to uh, circumvent. Am I uh, right about that? Correct. That's exactly what the school committee did on a five to nothing vote. A couple of weeks ago, we hired a, a real estate attorney uh, with experience in real estate and looking at deeds and uh, looking at restrictions. And so, um, you know, we have a general counsel, um, but just like uh, even the city solicitor may at times engage uh, an outside attorney for a specific reason. And so we've done the same. And that work is going to begin now because let's let's. We all know that uh, the uh, the moving of the athletic fields from Barry Field to Cass Park is on the front burner, the mayor's front burner. Uh, and then uh, it, it leads to, well, what, what do you do with uh, Barry Field? And uh, we've heard more than once the mayor thinks she can overcome the deed restrictions. I don't think that that's doable. Um, many people have looked at this in the past, however. Um, <coughs> We want to make sure that we got all our ducks in a row, and I'm, I'm certainly one that likes to be planned uh, and not just uh, shoot shoot from the hip. And so we're we're looking at this very seriously, and hopefully, uh, you know, and, we, we, and we're waiting to uh, hear the good news. Is this a long document? I mean, have you ever actually seen a copy oh, of yeah. the trust? Huh? It's a How few many pages. pages. It's not that long. It's uh, maybe two or three pages, um, but it, it identifies that uh, in perpetuity through a trust. The city bought the land, and uh, supporting a, within the uh, the deed, the purpose of the uh, the fields is for playgrounds and athletic fields. And if the school department would like to uh, or needs to build a school on that land, it could do so. So the use of the field, uh, the fields are limited to the education process to the benefit of our students and the. The deed is in uh, the uh, Barry Field is in the control, the management of the school committee, and so it's and that's the deed restriction. And the other thing uh, that uh, I just want to review what I think I heard last week. The other thing I think I heard you say is that um, if in fact there is a way to cover all the teams and all the uh, youth in the school department that need practice fields besides performance fields. Um, and there's a you know there's two kinds of um, two That's kinds right. of there's places. two kinds of fields. If uh, if that can be replicated in terms of uh, of what is needed, uh, then uh, the school committee may um, uh, consider that a an even trade off. Maybe no no 
No, it's not. Clarify that, please. It's not. It is not an even trade-off. But it's. But but the understand. This is where it gets money, Roger. Barry Field and Cass Bark are two separate issues, and we would welcome uh, a plan, a comprehensive plan, to move all the fields, practice and performance fields, to Cass Bark if they were in room. But according to our principal and athletic director and superintendent, there's not enough room. In the present renditions, there's no way you can fit all that at Cass Park. But say you could. We're still not going to, we still, I mean, we pulled the school committee uh, this week at our meeting, and it wasn't a vote. It was just to get a, a sense as to where the <laughs> members of the school committee stand. And four to five uh, are rigid, solid in their, in their, at least their determination not to sell Barry Field. Uh, because, again, uh, we don't believe, you know, we're not, we're, we don't deal in pie in the sky and with the hope and wonder that the fields are all going to move there because Cass Park is a very difficult park. I don't care if you've got 66 acres, but there's all kinds of issues with that land. We would have to see a, a comprehensive plan uh, that could fit everything. And on top of that, we wouldn't want to move on the sale of Barry Field or at all because how long is it going to take to redo that entire area and at the end of the day this we believe there's still going to be a need for this for the practice fields at barry field and then so we are not just going to relinquish um our hold on barry field that would be absolutely insane uh we would not do that so it's two different things but we don't believe one that you can fit them all Especially based on what the, the principal and, super, and the uh, superintendent and our athletic director have told us. <coughs> and on top of that, there still may be need that we're not thinking about right now. And that's why we are holding uh, a joint meeting with the city council on March 8th to discuss all that. Um, and we, they will know what, what the, where the school committee stands and we'll, <coughs> we'll let them know what we think. They will tell us what they think and we'll go from there. What about the uh, little triangle that um, has been suggested uh, to me uh, that uh, you've got Paul Bourget and you've got the mayor and then at the other end of the triangle, John Brian, and this is all a bunch of political baloney on your part. Um, is it, isn't that wonderful? Have you heard that? Uh, I've heard that for a long time. All I right, mean, well, uh, there's no do seat? you mind if I ask you about that? Uh, of course not. Okay. I'm known as uh, John Brian's father-in-law uh, by the mayor and, and other folks. Uh, mm -hmm. Frankly, uh, I have nothing against the mayor. Nothing. I look at her. She's got a responsibility. She won the election. She's got a responsibility to do well for the, for, for the city. Part of that responsibility is to, be, is to be there for the kids and figure out that they're number one. You don't come out with a rendering and a political campaign and say, well, see, everything's fine, but we're going to go ahead. We're going to build Caspar. You guys can uh, give us a Barry Field, and I'm just going to build it up. Never, never got anybody involved. Didn't get the city council involved. Did not get the school committee involved. Did not get the school administration involved. That's not political. That's just a bad plan, a bad approach. Um, my job as a school committee member is to make sure that our athletic programs, our athletic complexes meet the needs of the school. She's not thinking about that. She thinks we can send it all to Cass Park without really thinking it through. Um, that's my problem. That's her problem. That's the city council's problem. That's why we need to get together and try to say, all right, let's scratch our heads. Can we fit everything at Cass Park? We'd love to see it. 
and we'd be wonderful. But if you're lacking two to three practice fields, we still have to stay. We're still going to have to go to, to Barry Field to practice. But it's not political. This is not a political game that we're playing here. We're looking at the, the future of our athletic programs. We're looking at our children. Because if you stuff everything at Cass Park, Roger, and we don't have enough practice fields, we're going to have some students that are going to be sitting around at school from 2 o'clock to 6 o'clock before their turn to practice it. How insane would that be? Council Vice President John Ward threw himself into this equation, too. Now yes, making did. it a, uh, let's see, uh, a quadrangle instead of a triangle. <laughs> right, we add John into it. Uh, we're, we're building a geometric uh, structure here. That's what we're anyway, going to have a dodecagon soon. Mr. Ward wrote a editorial piece to, uh, an edit he wrote a letter to the editor is what it really boiled down to uh, pretty much, um, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, covering uh, what uh, what you're covering right now about uh, the politics of, uh, of this uh, situation on, on her part, uh, according to the editorial. All right, so um, notice how I kept you out of this, uh, Mr. I, Superintendent. I'm going to keep you into school department matters. I, I've noticed, but I've been listening uh, intently. If he was in World War One, he would have been deep in the trench. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyway, uh, we'll leave uh, Barry Field um, uh, aside for a few minutes um, and uh, get to um, the week in review, and that's what I'm going to ask you about. Uh, here it is, uh, Monday through uh, Friday. Do we have a school vacation coming up pretty soon? We have a school vacation, yes, coming up. Uh, it, it officially starts on Tuesday because, of course, Monday is a holiday. But, mm -hmm. yes, Tuesday through Friday is our February vacation. All right. So the, uh, give us the week that was. And then, after that, give us the week that will be after we get back from vacation. And whether, in fact, anything uh, that, um, that the health department has said or any other factor out there, vaccines or anything like that, has changed the landscape of the Woonsocket School Department. Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Patrick McGee, is uh, going to speak next. That's hey, you. That's me. That's me. I, oh, that's You're Ron. <laughs> I miss you. my cue. Yeah. You um, may speak now. So, thank you, Roger. So the week that was uh, this, this week, we uh, returned our 10th, 11th, and 12th graders at Woonsocket High School. We did have two uh, distance learning days, um, you know, as, as you know, and um, most, if not, I'd say most communities no longer are, are utilizing snow days. Um, I know that that is a is a disappointment to some students and, and to to some parents. But um, if you look at our calendar right now, the the last day of school is scheduled to be uh, June 25th. And if we added any any snow days to that, we certainly um, you know I don't want to go into into July and and technically you can't go into July. Um, but that aside, um, we have uh, we had a couple of uh, we've had a few distance learning days thus far, and, and and that's good because it provides us that opportunity to to, to continue the virtual instruction without having to make it up at the end of the year. Um, so you know it was a pretty successful um, week uh, at our at our high school. We you know had a good number of of tenth, eleventh, and twelfth graders returned. I would say almost half um, of them have have decided to return. Um, we've had some slight snafus with uh, with with transportation and with busing, 
um, but the uh, the high school administration is in the process of working that out with, uh, with with the bus company. So I anticipate that that will improve moving forward. Uh, after when we return from our February vacation, um, we're going to maintain the same schedule that we were currently in, which is the uh, you know summer in person fully and, and summer hybrid and, and some are, are are learning virtually. Um, one of the things that will be interesting is that I think it's supposed to come out today. I, I believe the CDC is coming out with, with more guidelines um, with, with the hope of, of opening schools soon. So I'll be curious to see what, what those guidance, uh, what those guidelines and that guidance um, says. Um, you know, I, I would, you know, as, as, do, as does everyone, you know, I, I want to get our students back as soon as possible. But I, I, as I've said from the very beginning, I'm gonna, I want to do it safely um, for all of our students and for all of our staff. You know, the, the way to get our, our schools back up and running is to vaccinate our teachers and staff. That's the way we do it. And unfortunately, in Rhode Island, the decision has been made to hold off on vaccinating teachers and staff. But um, that's the way to do it. If, if you want to bring back students and you want to bring back staff, vaccinate the staff. Um, now, having said that, there will still be parents who prefer to have their children learn virtually, and that's fine. We're, we're certainly um, we're, 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 we're able to and we're prepared to provide that uh, that mode of instruction for our, our students and our families through the remainder of the year. Um, but, uh, you know, other, other states are vaccinating teachers. Uh, there are some states, there are many states that are that teachers are, are part of the, the second phase. And those are states where they're bringing their students back. That's right. So I, I think it's really pretty simple. If, if we want to reopen our schools, then we need to vaccinate our teachers and staff. Um, it, it's to me, it's pretty simple. And I know that there are many, um, you know, segments of the population that are that are vying for you know the the next phase of of vaccines and and i understand that um you know i understand that you know senior citizens certainly need to be vaccinated but if if the if if what our 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 politicians are saying is we need to get kids back in school then we need to vaccinate our teachers and staff period what are the demographics of uh, of the teaching staff uh I know you don't have this right off the bat, but do we tend to have a plus 55 and older teaching staff or under 55? And, and I just choose 55 arbitrarily. So I would say, you know, over the last seven or eight years, we, we've had a decent number of, of staff retire. So we've brought in some younger staff. Um, I would say, I, I wouldn't say it's predominantly over over the age of 55 but it's it's a high enough percentage um here in Woonsocket um you know but we certainly do as I said have have some younger staff that we've brought in over the last you know five or six but or it's seven it, years you know even if they're younger Roger if the teachers are all vaccinated uh it's certainly going to provide a much safer environment for all our teach for all our students and staff because they're going to be in that building even though you're keeping them separate in pods you're still going to make it much safer. So the, the key is vaccinate the teachers and the staff. Mm-hmm. And the staff is a, maybe, you know, this is just an arbitrary observation, but it seems like staff may be a little bit older a demographic than teaching staff. Uh, when I'm thinking about, uh, about um, people who are on the maintenance staff and things like that. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
What about the teachers' union? Uh, the Winsocket teacher, we don't bring the Teachers Guild president in here to uh, chat, but has, uh, has there been pushback by the union, or are you guys pretty much on the same page in terms of uh, your thinking? So one of, one of the things that, that we're very fortunate here in Winsocket is, is the, the level of communication between the school department and the union. Um, you know, we, we meet and we communicate regularly. Yeah. So, and, and that, that isn't anything new. I mean, since I've been superintendent, you know, it's, it's, been, um, it's, it's been a priority to make sure that, that there's, there's two-way uh, communication between the district and the union. Now, that doesn't mean that we always agree on things. We certainly don't. But, you know, there are times we, have, we agree to disagree. But I would say with respect to the pandemic, we, we really have been on the same page. And, you know, as, as I've made clear to, to the community, I've made clear to the, to the teachers and staff in the union is that, you know, my, my number one job is, is, has been to keep everyone healthy and safe. And, um, you know, we're, we're clearly on the same page when it comes to that. I know that, uh, you know, the teachers union, um, as, as you would think, um, they're, they're very strong advocates of, of having teachers and staff uh, vaccinated because they, too, understand that, you know, to bring our students back, we need to vaccinate our teachers and staff. So, so it's, it's, been, a, um, it's been a partnership really um from from day one and you know we're going to continue to work together uh to to get through this this pandemic and um you know so i i am pleased with with the level of communication that we've had as you, know, a partnership. you know when dr mcgee set up the uh, reopening committee the task force back in uh in the summer early summer um we had the uh the the teachers guild president and his vice president uh, be part of that committee and we've kept them abreast of everything and we've always been on the same page and one of the things they like is the fact that uh, Dr. McGee and, and the administration have been focused on the health and safety of not only the students but, uh, but, the, but the staff as well uh, where there was a lot of pressure by the governor to open schools uh, when the pandemic was roaring and testing was few and far between and there was no hope in sight she still wanted them open and we didn't you know we 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 he stuck to his guns and uh i know the uh union uh, really appreciated that that we cared about them mr uh, superintendent uh, my takeaway from your answer is that when socket public schools are going to stay pretty much the way that they are for the next few months because the vaccine which might change the uh, guidelines um, is not being introduced into uh, the school department for staff and for teachers. And because it isn't, uh, then you have to pretty much stay where you are. And if it was, it could change the, uh, the playing field. But, it, but uh, the, the older folks, so to speak, are getting the priority right now. You're correct, Roger. Um, I, you know, the, for the foreseeable future, I, you know, we're going to maintain the, um, you know, the current um, platforms that we we have, and you know, if things change, you know, um, i.e., the uh, the vaccine, then you know, we would certainly look to um, to making some modifications. Um, but I, I will, I am curious though to see what the the CDC has in terms of their 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 new guidance and the new guidelines uh, for the reopening. You know, and in the upcoming weeks, Roger, uh, we'll start talking about what what's going to happen with graduation. Mm-hmm. Because last year we got hit in March on March 13th. All of a sudden we were stayed at home, 
and we had to scramble. We always thought week for week uh, we were able to go back to normal. That never happened. And so now it's uh, the emphasis that which is coming to the front burner is going to be the graduation exercises. And Dr. McGee, I know, is, is planning to uh, work with uh, the administration of the high school and uh, the middle school and even the, uh, the elementary schools as to what will be done and how it will be done. What options do we have? And so that's going to be the news that we'll be having in the upcoming months. In listening to the news conferences from the state uh, on a Thursday basis, there were no questions yesterday. But uh, in all previous weeks, at least one question came from a reporter on sports in the school. And so, therefore, one of my final questions here will be, what is the status of sport? This is a very important part of of um, of the curriculum uh, and, and how the students view school. Are we playing sports at all? So... There are two sports that were, were pushed from the fall to um, the spring. It's the, sort of the third season, uh, which is how the Interscholastic League is describing it. And that would be football and volleyball. So there just recently has, have been um, conversations between athletic directors, principals, superintendents, and the uh, Rhode Island Inter- Interscholastic League specific to football. Um, districts at this point are making decisions whether or not they feel comfortable bringing football back. Um, and I've had some conversations with uh, our high school principal and our athletic director um, and with our, our head football coach. And unanimously, um, they felt as though at, at this point, um, for a variety of reasons, not just limited to um, potential exposure and transmission of, of COVID, but that, it, that it's not a good idea to, um, to play football in the, um, in the spring. So we're, we're still um, having those conversations. Um, we're still having those conversations with the Interscholastic League. There are other schools, uh, other districts in the state, other high schools, which are apparently are going to be making that same decision not to. Um, and, and again, it's a variety of reasons. It, it's in, in beyond just the obvious of, of the COVID, and and the you know the the challenges of socially distancing um, with a sport such as football, where it's it's a high contact sport. Is you have to take other things into consideration. Um, the the condition of the field. Um, you know, we, this we're in the middle of the winter right now. Um, normally, the football season starts late August. Actually, it starts mid-August. Um, and, you know, right now we have literally a frozen tundra, which is not safe, really, um, we, we feel, for, for our student-athletes. Um, and it's not really going to get much better until, you know, April, probably. It's um, stay tuned, in other yeah, words. stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned. You know, number two, just the conditioning of our football players. Um, our football players, they, they start their conditioning you know, well before the football season begins in um, in mid-August. And right now, we we haven't been able to utilize the weight room for our, our student-athletes. So there there are there there's that piece to this puzzle as well, and that's just the, you know, there's the COVID health and safety, and then there's just the conditioning health and safety. And we don't want to put our student-athletes in positions where um, they're not conditioned to go out and play a sport yeah. like football. I mean, it's, it's a little different if you're going out playing basketball. You're not, you're not tackling one another, you know. Um, usually. So not, not usually. Uh, if, if you do, it's a flagrant foul. But, um, 
But so that that's where we stand there. And then with respect to volleyball, um, we're you know we're going to be having those conversations with the interscholastic league uh, fairly soon as well. As we wrap up here, this is not necessarily a school department question, uh, but I would like you to both answer it. We got two new words that have been entered into the vocabulary in the last six weeks. One is vaccine, because there's a vaccine out there. And according to Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott, it has changed the game in the nursing home situation because all the nursing home patients and all the nursing home staff have received the vaccine and they've seen a deciding difference in infections in nursing homes in that setting because of the vaccine. That's word number one. The other word or phrase is variants, new strain out there that could like really put a whole a whole uh, different slant to um, to the recovery from the vaccine. Uh, how do you guys see the introduction of the variant and the vaccine as game changes here? Or is it just wait and see? Two things. You know, first, we are going to wait and see uh, until we said it, it'll say it again. Until all the staff gets uh, vaccinated, we're going to be holding the line. Um, and the variants, it's going to be, well, we know we have a, quite a few people will be ahead of our teachers and adults getting vaccinated. We're going to see what happens with, to them. So the CDC and Nicole Alexander Scott, Dr. Scott, we're going we're gonna to see what she says. And we're going to follow this week for week how safe things are and what are the side effects, if any, uh, of, the, of getting vaccinated. And will it, will it take care of the variants? If it doesn't, we're back to square one. Any comment? I, you know, I, I, I just take the, the phrase game changer. And if, if, if the state wants a, an education game changer, then vaccinate the teachers and staff. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's the, the change in the game to get more students back into and more teachers back into um, our, our classrooms. And any final word before you guys uh, leave the studio and bring in our next guest? We're still fluid. The, the, uh, the whole situation is fluid. Stay tuned. Uh, we're going we're gonna to keep the school safe. We're going to keep our students and teachers safe. And we appreciate everything they do for our kids. Um, I, I concur. Um, you know, we're, I'm, again, I, I, I say this, you know, seem, seems like every Friday, but I, I truly do appreciate um, the, the, the hard work and the support from our teachers and staff and our parents and our families and, and most importantly, our students. Um, you know, this is a very challenging time, and you know, we we it appears as though we see a light at the end of the tunnel, and we're getting closer. Um, we just have to sort of stay the course and continue to work at it. Um, and you know, at, at some point, we're going to look back on this, and um, you know, I, when we look back on it, I want to make sure that you know we've made the right decisions, and and those decisions are around the self the health and safety of our students and staff. Thank you, gentlemen. Talk to you. Thank you, Roger, Thank for you, having Roger. us on. You're welcome. Family Discount Furniture, located at the intersection of Social Street and Diamond Hill Road in Woonsocket, is excited to celebrate their six-year anniversary. To celebrate their anniversary, as well as income tax refund season, they have slashed prices on top of their everyday lowest price. Stop by to see why the readers of the call voted them number one best in business in the Blackstone Valley for mattresses and furniture. Their showroom is fully stocked with brand new merchandise available for same day pickup or next day delivery. They also offer a no credit needed program. All you need to do is ask for details. 
Family Discount Furniture, 1081 Social Street in Woonsocket. Open Monday through Friday, 10 to 6. Saturday, 10 to 5. Call them at 401-597-5911. And be sure to follow them on Facebook. Are you ready for Valentine's Day? Um, it's almost here. It's Sunday. And and uh, you better order today. You better get on the phone right now at 766 3165 and call Below Flowers. Below Flowers Love and Romance glows with a Below's delivery to your Valentine this weekend. The number to call again to make arrangements is 766 3165. Send Valentine's Love with a hot of uh, custom bouquet from Below's. Handmade with love. Below's Flowers at 665 Diamond Hill Road, Woonsocket. We're ready for Valentine's Day. Are you? And we also have Infernal Melt, Infernal Ice Melt, no salt in our product, pet friendly. And uh, we're going to have some snow over the weekend. You can buy your Infernal Ice Melt at Belos. And we also have the Cubics brand pellets. And you're going to get them by the bag or the ton. And the name of the place is Belos on Diamond Hill Road here in Woonsocket. And I hope you'll give them a call today and take care of Valentine's Day. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. The panel has reconvened and uh, we have uh, Mr. Uh, Robert Martin from Crossroads Real Estate Group on our live line. At least I think we do. Are you there, Robert? Yes, I am, Roger. Okay. Sorry for the tardiness. Oh, no problem. I know I know why you were tardy this morning. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah, yes. You want to know why? Because yeah. you were getting ready to uh, get a nice gift for Valentine's Day, and that was a higher priority, making sure that Valentine's Day was addressed in time. And how did you know that? Oh, I'm Good just... Guess. I'm just smart that way. Anyway, it's uh, time for our real estate question of the week, and it has to do with condominiums. Do you know much about condominiums, uh, Bob? Yes, I do. All right. Yeah. I, you sold a few in your day? Sold a few when I live in, in a complex. Yeah. All right. So here's the question. Uh, this listener wants to know, we are looking at purchasing a condo. How can we obtain information on the complex, such as are they well-funded, or if they have any problems. And uh, so my question, uh, this is the add-on from Roger, is are condominium documents public? So here we go. Uh, yes, they are. Um, when, uh, when a condo is formed, they have to record those. But you don't have to go and get them at a town hall or go online. So I, and I always refer to the Rhode Island Association of Contracts. Um, what basically happens is... Uh, in, in the contract, it allows the buyer 10 days from the receipt of the contract, uh, uh, from receipt of the contract and receipt of the condo docs, I should say, to review them, uh, get comfortable with them, or not like them, ask any questions they may want. And if in that 10-day period... Uh, there's anything that they don't like or that changes their mind about buying into the complex, they simply can say, I'm not comfortable with the condo doc and voiding the contract to get the return of their deposit, and they can move on their way. So they have, uh, and that would include the financial statements, uh, how the board of directors is set up, 
when do they vote, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they have a complete view of the whole organization. Now, in addition to that, once you get by that 10-day period, and let's say that they're okay with that, <clears throat> there's another state law that says that um, they are to be um, given what they call a resale certificate for review um, within, from a title standpoint, the same month as the closing. So very much close to the closing, the um, usually the seller or the listing agent for the seller orders what they call a resale certificate. Now that resale certificate isn't as, as voluminous, but what it basically says is, um, are there any pending lawsuits? Do they anticipate having any special assessments? Uh, what's the percentage of people that are owner-occupied compared to the number of renters? Um, and it, there's probably 25 or 30 questions. If you go on the DBR site, there's a, there's a form for that, Department of Business Regulation, where uh, there's some standard issues that have to be covered in that resale certificate. Uh, again, they have five days from receipt of that to review it, and if there's anything in there that they do not like, they can once again avoid the transaction. Uh, so they have they have two outs. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, buyers don't always review that. When we have a buyer, um, we have the seller. Well, then it's up to the buyer. But we have the buyer. Uh, I always get them, and then my agents get them. Most of the time, I end up with them on my desk. And same thing with the resale certificate. We make sure that, that we, we go through it. We explain that to the buyer. If, in fact, they're, they're not astute enough to understand it or, or rather not you know, read it. And we say, here's the deal if you buy in here. So in a lot of ways, more than buying a single-family home, they, they can look at the condo complex up and down. They can see its financial viability, how much is in reserve. That's very that's a very important part. I would say the two most important parts are what's the, the financial um, status of the condo association, and secondly, what's the percentage of owner-occupants? Um, if you have over a certain amount of renters, it gets more difficult to get a mortgage, and that percentage is 10%. Um, you, you have trouble getting a, a Fannie Mae, FHA, VA mortgage. That's just what they call spot loan. Plus, um, the the viability of it. The more the more owner occupants, the better the better it is. The stronger the association, generally, and and also the financial strength. Because what you have to watch out for when you're buying a condo is that they're well funded and that they have what we call replacement reserves. The roof of, of a condo building will you know will need to be replaced, similar to the roof on a house. And that money needs to be put aside. If it's not, uh, and the condo fees are artificially low, if you will, because there are no reserves, then when when something occurs, you they, they get hit with a special assessment. Um, there's a complex in, in Lincoln that I won't name that last year had to borrow, uh, I believe it's $1.4 million to redo the roof, siding, windows, and whatnot, because... Over the years, the condo fees were very low. Uh-huh. No money was put aside. Uh, and, and it has to be paid back by all of the members. So uh, you, I, don't, I forget the number, but I, you know, basically 
the condo fees went up, let's say, by 200 bucks a month because that loan has to be paid back. Sure. So all of that information is, is available, and you want to buy into an association, a complex that has reserves, that's well-funded, that the, that the directors meet, that the owners have a say. Um, you know, it's not ideal because you're living in a community of other people. You don't always get your way. But um, you can absolutely ensure yourself by doing some due diligence and the information is right in front of you as to the viability of the association you're buying into. So you just got to make sure it's just not uh, just a pretty building. You got to look into the paperwork too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, well, exactly. thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. We'll chat uh, next week just about um, at our regular time, okay? All right, thanks for the <laughs> reminder, Roger. Nice. <laughs> It's a nice backdoor compliment. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> yes. Happy Valentine's Day, sir. Goodbye. All right. Bob Martin on our live line here on WNRI. And um, next is um, we'll talk a little bit about Mardi Gras. So stay right along with us here on the Upfront program. You know, Chucky's Ice Cream of Cumberland turns into Chucky's Fish and Chips on Fridays. If you love fish and chips and if you love clam cakes and chowder... You'll want to order today from Chucky starting at 11 this morning. Write down this number, 425-8023. 425-8023. Call ahead and then pick up your order of fish and chips or clam cakes and chowder or both. Yeah, you can order uh, as much as you want. And uh, and Charles will be more than happy to, to do it. That's what he does all day on Friday is work on clam cakes and chowder and fish and chips. That's his only thing. So you know you're getting it fresh and you know it's being paid attention to at Chucky's. 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. That number again is 425-8023. Chucky's Ice Cream of Cumberland is Chucky's Fish and Chips and Clam Cakes and Chowder on Fridays. And starting this Wednesday and every Wednesday through Lent, Chucky's will be open on Wednesday for Fish and Chips and Clam Cakes and Chowder. And um, that will be um, at 48 West Rentham Road in Cumberland, Rhode Island. Okay. Uh, I have one more announcement, and then uh, I think we're going to check in with our guests. No, I don't think I'm going to have that announcement right now. So we're going to get back to we're going to get back to the upfront program. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, our final segment is uh, about an event coming up in the community. Dominic Dora has joined us. How'd I do on that? Uh, well, no, forget you, about you, it. You've done better. <laughs> I, I think I have. I think, I, I think I'll agree with you. So my question is, are you representing St. Anne's Arts and Cultural Center? Are you representing the Northern Island Council of the Arts or both? A um, little bit of both, I think, today. Okay. Yeah. What's, uh, what's going on at Cellos? So, um... Obviously, this and representing time, cellos too. And right? representing cellos too, and and everybody else. Um, so yeah. So usually this time of the year, we uh, the Northern Rhode Island Council of the Arts, in conjunction with the Saint Anne Arts and Cultural Center, uh, we usually host the annual Mardi Gras. Um, it's hard to believe it's just a year. The last time we held Mardi Gras last year was just a few weeks before uh, everything got shut down. So we were able to squeak in that that um, that program. So this year, um, they decided that they didn't want to just have Mardi Gras pass us by completely without any sort of acknowledgement. 
So they came up with this, you know, little plan to have sort of a taste of Mardi Gras. And this, will, of course, will be at Cello's, uh, where everything is socially distanced there. You can do takeout. Um, and uh, so on Sunday, February 21st, from open until closed, you can come to Cello's and uh, sort of celebrate Mardi Gras. Uh, we're going to bring some of the decorations from St. Anne's over. Um, Cellos is going to have, uh, they're going to come up with sort of a special menu for that day as well, uh, which, which of course will include the, the French meat pie that they already serve, uh, which is actually pretty good. Um, and um, the, the proceeds are going to benefit the Northern Rhode Island Council of the Arts. And uh, per usual, uh, to participate in the event, you do need to have one of these little cards. Here, Roger, I'll, I'll hand one over to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Anytime. And um, you can get these cards at uh, a cut above hair salon, Bela's Flowers, The Honey Shops, Missy's Family Restaurant, Little General on Cumberland Street, Timeless Antiques, Vos True Valley Hardware. Or you can print them online from the uh, Northern Rhode Island Council of the Arts website or the St. Anne Arts and Cultural Center website. Um, and, of course, anybody who participates will be entered into a free drawing. We're going to have several uh, baskets to give away, which will include uh, gift cards, some gift cards to cellos and other types of gift cards that people are donating. Uh, there's, no, there's no charge for the raffle. All you have to do is come, participate, show the card, and you'll get a free ticket. Um, this is good for both dine-in. And, and takeout. So if you're not comfortable with dining in, you can call your order in, pull up, and they'll bring out the order to you. Um, when we had the event for St. Anne's last December, uh, takeout was so popular that they actually had to turn off their DoorDash for about 45 minutes so they could catch up um, on all the orders that were coming in. So it was a very successful event. Even though a lot of people didn't come in, and understandably, uh, they took the, uh, the, the takeout option instead. And... Um, like I said, so this is all day from open till close. Uh, there'll be members of royal courts of the past will show up throughout the day to uh, greet people. And um, this this is going to continue to be a, a community event because uh, with all the businesses I named, uh, a lot of every year with the Mardi Gras, a lot of local businesses come together to help uh, support and to uh, keep the Mardi Gras going and uh, this year is no different so it'll be at cellos but a lot of businesses are carrying the cards they're donating they're still supporting so this is still a very much a big uh, community effort uh, to keep this uh, function going so I see two things happening here first of all to create a Mardi Gras atmosphere mm -hmm. a week from this Sunday and secondly that the proceeds will help ensure that there might be a real Mardi Gras next year absolutely mm -hmm. um, so Mardi Gras next year uh, Council of the Arts continue their French Heritage Festival in September and also their scholarship programs that they that they do each year for graduating seniors. Were you King Jace last year? I was. Right. So so you um, and there'll be no King Jace this year, so you pick up an extra year. Yes, yeah, so I'll probably be the longest reigning yeah. uh, King Jace, yeah. Huh. <laughs> that's not fair. Former King Jaces. That, but anyway, that's the way it goes. Laurie right? Stewart, the, the, the Mardi Gras queen, will be the longest reigning queen as well. So. That's true, too. <laughs> All right, so uh, it's not this Sunday because uh, you, uh, you timed it out so that you wouldn't uh, interfere with uh, Valentine's Day. Absolutely. We didn't want to compete. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's still within the, the framework of uh, the Mardi Gras period, right? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Right. Only a week late. No big deal. All right. So make sure, though, you have to pick up, I, I guess, uh, these little cards here that you just gave, gave me one. Now I won't have to go get one. Um, make sure you pick up one of these cards because this is the thing uh, that they use to uh, authenticate that this person is coming in to help the um, Mardi Gras 2021 
2022 celebration, right? Exactly correct. And uh, cellos will donate up to 20% of your check to the organization. And uh, what I oftentimes say when I'm talking to people about this is you're you're sort of hitting uh, three birds with one stone. You're supporting the organization, you're supporting a local business, which is cellos, and then you're also supporting uh, Woonsocket because of the uh, tax revenue that comes out of there that uh, comes back to the city as well. Yeah, that's uh, 1%. Uh, t- yes, that's a direct uh, money that comes to the city. And one other thing, will you have a, a little music uh, to create some atmosphere there? Uh, yeah, we're going to... Um, um, we're not going to have live singers, but we're going to bring in some Zydeco music, uh-huh. some Mardi Gras style music, and uh, Cellos is going to play that through their sound system uh, so uh, everyone can enjoy. All right. Well, thank you, Cellos, for doing this. And uh, thank you for coming in and, and plugging it. Anything else we should tell our listeners? Uh, um, um, no, just um, you know, February, Sunday, right. February 21st, all day. And then uh, we'll be announcing uh, another mm-hmm. event shortly for uh, the St. Anne's Arts Cultural Center. All right. And uh, you're uh, still burning oil over at the uh, St. Anne's Austin Cultural Center. Still burning burning. a little oil. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Keep it a close eye on everything. Right. So so anybody who wants to make a contribution to St. Anne's Austin Cultural Center straight on to help pay for the oil bill, you're welcome to do that. Oh, thank you very much. Absolutely. All right. Hey, thank you, Dominic D., for joining us here on the program. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. B. All right. right, We will talk again. Don't forget that event. And we'll keep playing uh, Dominic's uh, promotional announcement all next week to make sure that we have a good turnout a week from this Sunday at Cellos. Hey, that's it for our program today. We got it all in. I didn't think we were going to squeeze everything in, but we, we got it done. Dominic, uh, we got in. Patrick and uh, Paul from the school committee and Bob from uh, the real estate company. We'll see you Monday on the Upfront program. Bye-bye, everybody. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380. WNRI won't sock it. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. More than 9,000 recovering COVID-19 patients in New York were released from hospitals into nursing homes during the early days of the pandemic. The infected patients were released to nursing homes under a directive from Governor Andrew Cuomo's office. The new number, as reported by the Associated Press, is 40% higher than what had previously been released by New York officials. President Biden on Thursday slammed President Trump for not doing his job. His complaint is the former president didn't order enough vaccines. He didn't mobilize enough people to administer the shots, and he didn't set up federal vaccine centers where eligible people could go to get their shots. Biden went on to say the U.S. is on track to have enough supply of the vaccine to inoculate 300 million Americans by the end of July. A grand jury declined to indict Buffalo, New York police officers Robert McCabe and Aaron Torgalski on felony assault charges for pushing a 75-year-old Martin Gugino during a Black Lives Matter protest in June of 2020. USA. When you want an action hero, go to Marvel Comics. When you need protection from a downpour, put on a raincoat. And when you want to see someone hit a home run, go to the ballpark. But when you have been injured and are in need of a trial lawyer, there's only one lawyer you need to go to, and that is Mark L. Smith. Mark has been appearing in state and federal courts representing individuals who have been injured. He also has been settling cases for clients in arbitrations and mediations. When you are in need of a trial lawyer as opposed to an action hero, a haberdasher, or a professional athlete, then there is but one selection, attorney Mark L. Smith Esquire. Visit his website, bowtielawyer.com, or email Mark at L-A-W-M-S. LS at AOL.com. Mark knows his way around the courthouse, I guarantee it. You'll find the law offices of Mark Smith.
Smith and Woonsocket in the Cornerstone Building at 191 Social Street, 769-4120. In our Providence office at 127 Doran Street, 272-1432. It's China. It appears Beijing is upset with the media outlet's coverage of the pandemic and human rights abuses. USA Radio News' John Clemens reports. Beijing has been upset with the BBC for its coverage of the pandemic and about China's human rights abuses. U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price condemned the actions of Beijing. We absolutely condemn uh, the PRC's decision to ban BBC World News. Uh, the PRC maintains one of the most controlled, most oppressive, least free information spaces in the world. Uh, it's troubling that as the PRC restricts outlets and platforms from operating freely in China, Beijing's leaders use free and open media environments overseas uh, to promote misinformation. From the USA Radio News Texas Bureau, I'm John Clemens. The British Broadcasting Corporation is a public service broadcaster headquartered in Westminster, London. This is USA Radio. The Roast House is open seven days a week and they're featuring inside dining and, of course, takeout. To make a reservation to dine in or place an order at the Roast House, call 508-883-7700 and check out the menu online at theroasthouse.com. Thank you for your support during this period of transition. The Roast House, Farm Street and Blackstone. We welcome back old and new customers for inside dining and takeout. theater. You'll love it. Numerous members of the Proud Boys organization are facing charges. USA Radio News' Wendy King has more. The Justice Department unsealed conspiracy charges against five people associated with the Proud Boys and asked that a member of the Oath Keepers be held in bond in filings related to the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Authorities arrested William Crestman, Louis Colin, and Christopher Cooney in Kansas City while taking brother and sister Corey and Felicia Conald into custody in Arizona. The five were charged with conspiracy conspiracy, civil disorder, obstruction of an official proceeding, knowingly entering or remaining in a restricted building, and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. The Justice Department has also issued a memo requesting that Jessica Watkins, a member of the Oath Keepers Militia, be held without bond. From the USA Radio News Pacific Northwest News Bureau, I'm Wendy King. Earlier this month, Canada declared the Proud Boys a terrorist entity. Jazz fusion pioneer Chick Corea has died at the age of 79. The keyboardist and band leader, best known for his work as a solo artist and with Return to Forever. And for company, Miles Davis died on Tuesday after battling a rare form of cancer, which was only discovered very recently. That's according to his official Facebook page. TGIF. For USA Radio News, I'm Lance Pratt. WNRI, Winsocket. Weather sponsored by John the Roofer. Over 70 years strong. Hire the best because you live under that roof. 866-906-ROOF. 866-906-7666.